We can only come to God one way. We read that in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody comes to God except through me. We also find eminent pastor and author A.W. Tozer saying, Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. People in this world today might tell you that you can come to God whatever way you like. They might say, well, God is, is, a, is a mountain, and God is at the top of that mountain, and so it doesn't matter which pathway you choose, as long as you get to the top of the mountain and meet God, it will be fine. Perhaps your pathway will be Islam, perhaps your pathway will be Hinduism or Mormonism or whatever. It might even be Christianity, but as long as you find a path and get on it, you will eventually reach God at the top. That is precisely the opposite to what God says. And it is imperative that you take hold of this truth. You cannot come to God except through Christ Jesus. And of course, that throws up the question, well, how is it I come to Christ Jesus? If I want to get to God and I have to come through Christ, just supposing I accept that, how is it that I can come to Christ and be saved? And that is precisely what this verse tells us. This verse tells us how it is we come to Christ. And so therefore, by uh, just extending it, it tells us how it is that we come to God. We come to Christ by meeting a demand. We come to Christ by making a declaration. And we come to Christ by enjoying His delight. Let's just look at this verse in some detail and see what it says to us. The first thing that we find in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 is the demand Paul's writing to a church in Rome. In fact, it's the only church in Rome. And he's making very clear to these people in Rome just what it is that God has demanded of them. He's making clear how it is that the gospel saves people. He's making clear that there is a way to God, uh, but it has to be the, the right way, otherwise they'll be lost. And Paul is telling these Roman Christians that God forgives their sins in one way only. And so Paul makes it clear that men and women do not save themselves. But he also says there is some responsibility that's placed upon the individual's shoulders to do something. And the demand starts off with a condition. This verse just begins with two, two words, that, if. Now, there is a conditional statement. If we use the word if, then we're saying it's possible to have two or at least two different outcomes. And Paul makes it clear that salvation isn't automatic. It's not something that just happens. It's not something that just occurs in the life of a person. Some people are born into particular circumstances, and you might even say that their lives are mapped out from, from when they, they begin life. And Paul is actually saying here, well, that is not the case with salvation. You're not born, and then you automatically uh, become a child of God. You're not born, and you're automatically saved. Paul has a very deep knowledge of the gospel, and he's most adamant that people are not saved as a matter of course. But Paul is laying the foundation here that something has to happen for a person to be saved. It is possible for somebody to be saved. There are things that can be done, things that can happen 
where salvation will come into the life of a person. Paul is not saying that salvation is this far-off concept or idea. It is an ideal that nobody ever reaches and nobody ever experiences. He's not saying that. He's saying it's possible. He's saying it's not a pipe dream. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. But it is something that God gives and God does in the life of a person. And here is the truth that we must know. You cannot... Indeed, you must not take for granted that you will simply be right before God. Some people simply say to themselves, well, I'll be okay because I try my hardest to be a good person. And you know something? There are a great many good people in this world who try hard to be good and to do the right thing and to always treat people respectfully and to help them and this, that, and the other. There are many people like that, but that is not how somebody is saved. We are not saved by simply hoping that we are good enough. And it's sheer foolishness to believe that without anything happening or changing within us, that God will simply ignore the rejection that we've had for Him in the past. And so I want to put it out here right at the outset that if you have never dealt with Jesus Christ, if you have never dealt with God, if you have never encountered the gospel, all these things in a positive fashion, if that has not happened in your life, and I can make this statement from the Bible, not my opinion, but it is the Bible, you are not saved. But despite that stark truth, let me encourage you that you can be saved. You may be saved. But this means knowing what must happen. It means that we must come to God the way that He commands us to come. So the condition is there that if we're not saved but we can be saved, then we see the next word is you. It speaks about the character. The conditions are not impersonal. They're not just for other people. It's for you. And while the identity and the reality of Christ and His salvation is a truth that is established from the Bible, we have to understand, we have to grasp the fact that there is responsibility upon us to respond to Jesus Christ. We have to answer Him. We have to say something back to the question that He asks us in saying, will you be saved? And nobody can escape the truth that as an individual, we must meet the conditions that God lays down. Now, we're not doing anything to complete our salvation. It's not that God does 99% of the work and then we say yes and that is the 1% and all of a sudden there's 100% salvation. It's not like that. God does it all. But God says to each one of us, what is it you will do with Jesus? What is it you will do with my son? Will you meet the condition that is required to be saved? And Paul is clear here that there is a responsibility, there is a burden, there is an obligation, a duty even, on each and every individual to respond to the call of Jesus Christ. Paul is clear that the condition, that God's condition for salvation, now this is the condition, mind, not salvation itself. God's condition for salvation rests on the shoulders of each person. And that is we either obey or disobey. It's incredible as we watch Hannah grow up, and I know that there are many parents and grandparents here who have seen exactly the same thing, that you will give Hannah a choice of two things, and she wants something else. You'll say you can either sit on the seat 
or you can go and play with that toy, but she wanted to go and do something else. God says to us this morning, you can either accept salvation in Jesus Christ or you can reject it. He doesn't say that you can figure it out in the middle yourself or you can work out something else that you could possibly do. He doesn't say that. It is an either-or situation here. And while it is entirely to cor correct to say that you can be saved, we must remember what God is telling us to do. He is saying it is our responsibility to accept this saving grace that He offers to us. And so the question is posed to each one of our hearts. Will you accept God's salvation? Will you come under God's terms? And that's where Paul now goes in this verse. He, he now outlines the terms by which we are saved. He sets up the things that we must take on board. And he gives us the bare minimum that we must accept, trust, and come under in order to be saved. There is the demand. We now move on to the declaration. And Paul, in this letter to Romans, and this is one of the most wonderful pieces of literature that you can read. I don't, I don't care whether it's in the Bible or, or, or not. It is one of the amazing pieces of literature that any person can read. But Paul didn't write it to be intelligent. He didn't write it to show himself in a particularly good light. He wrote Romans so that he might tell these Christians what it is that is the very basis of their salvation, that they might understand, that they might grow in this. And now what Paul is trying to establish in this verse is what a person must say, what they must declare, what they must have an evidence of in their life in order that they are saved. And Paul says God does all the work that results in a man being saved, but it results in a man believing. And that's why we have to examine ourselves to see whether or not we believe, because the first part of the declaration is our admission. Paul says that if you... Uh, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, that word confess, it means to agree. It means to declare or even to celebrate something. There is a oneness of mind. There is a determination of thought. And what Paul says here is that that confession comes out of the mouth. That confession is something that can be said. And so, the fact is that confession is spoken in a way that expresses what is believed in the heart. It's not done in secret. It's not hidden away. But it is done publicly. It's funny how people are very quick to declare their allegiance to a sports team or a sports star. When I was growing up, uh, one of the things that people confessed or declared was whether they liked one band or another band. And if you liked one band, you were in the in crowd, and if you liked the other, you were like me, you were in the out crowd. Uh, people will confess what they believe in their hearts, and they will stick to it. And Paul says here that if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you will have no hesitation in saying that Jesus is Lord. There are many people who will say Jesus is this, that, or the other. If you go to a Muslim today and ask them whether they believe that Jesus Christ was a real man, they will say, yes, he was a prophet. But they don't confess him as Lord. And it truly matters what is said. 
In other words, the declaration, this admission, is not something that is vague, but it is crystal clear. What is it you admit about Jesus Christ today? Why do you sing these songs of praise that we've been singing? Is it because the tunes are nice? They are nice. But we've also been singing about the name of Jesus Christ. We've also been singing about the amazing grace that has come to us through Jesus Christ. We have also been singing about the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Are you happy to just sing those words? Or are you happy to declare them to each and every person that you come to? The first test as to whether or not we belong to Jesus Christ is whether or not we can make this declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. When people go into Parliament and they're elected as members of Parliament, they all have to swear an oath of allegiance to the Queen. That's why the likes of Sinn Féin will not sit in Parliament because they won't swear that oath of allegiance. But an MP will go into Parliament as it begins and they will take the oath and they will swear that they will obey the Queen and that they will be beneath the Queen and that they will honour the Queen. And so unless we can say that we will obey and submit and come under Jesus Christ, then we, we cannot possibly be saved. We have to be ready to confess the Lordship of Christ Jesus. That's the first part of the declaration. But as we saw last week, words are, are not enough. There is something more. There is something in addition to this. And after the admission, there has to be our acceptance. Here is the second evidence of belonging to Jesus Christ, our acceptance. We would describe this as actually having faith. Faith is required for salvation. What does Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 say? Let me just remind you, I know that you know it, but it says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, but by the gift of God. There has to be an act of belief in our hearts, something that is deep within us, that believes that Jesus Christ we can see that it is within us, it is in our hearts. It's not something that we keep convincing ourselves of. It's not even something that's just in our mind that we need to keep reminding ourselves about. And the thing that we believe is not something trivial. The thing that we believe is not something that changes. The thing that we believe is not something that lacks in value. We have to believe in our, our heart that God, we are believing in God, we are believing on God. We are seeing that our faith is in the working of a mighty and powerful God. We are believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now that statement, raised him from the dead, supposes two things. The first is this, that he died. You can't raise somebody from the dead unless they are dead. But the second thing that it supposes is that Jesus Christ is alive today. And there's a wee chorus that you can find in Mission Praise, and it says, Jesus Christ is alive today. I know, I know it's true. 
And this is the faith that we have. In our hearts, we know that even as Christ died on the cross, even as he gave his life for us on the cross, he was restored to a physical life. Here is something that we must have faith in. Here is something that if we don't believe in, then we're not Christians, we're not saved. A few years ago, as I was traveling in the car, I was very young, my dad was driving, and it came on the radio that the Archbishop of Canterbury, the, the supposedly highest uh, member of the Church of England, did not believe that the resurrection was real, but that it was symbolic. And the Bible tells us that if somebody makes such a statement, they're not saved. They don't belong to Christ. The Christian, the person who's saved, is, a, is the person who knows in their heart with a great certainty that Jesus is no longer dead, but He is alive. And that person knows that God works in a very great power. Is that where your faith is today? That not only is Jesus Lord, but that he is alive, having been raised from the dead. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Is he a good man? Was he a great teacher? Was he a powerful prophet? Well, he was all of those things, but Jesus Christ is so much more because he is the Son of God who gave his life to die on the cross to pay the penalty for, for my sin, for, for your sin. And God raised him to life so that we would know that there is such a thing as eternal life, so that we would receive that thing that is called eternal life. Do you have that certainty in your heart today? If you have that certainty in your heart, then you're in possession of very great faith. But if you have that certainty in your heart, you know that you are saved. If you don't have that certainty in your heart, if you have that doubt, that question, or that cynicism, then ask yourself, well, what on earth is my salvation based upon? Because if it's not based upon a Jesus Christ who is alive and not dead, then you are having certainty in things that will fail you. Here we plainly have the declaration that we must make that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Jesus Christ is alive today. And that brings us on to the last part of this verse. And what Paul does now is to show us something that we can be certain of, our salvation. And that last portion of the verse gives us the delight that we find in Jesus Christ. The demand, the declaration, the delight. Paul has laid bare all of the conditions that must be followed. And so now he tells them what happens when these conditions are met. Paul isn't a man that's filled with doubt. In fact, Paul was a man even before he became a Christian that had very little doubt about anything. He saw the world as being black and white even before he found Christ or Christ found him. But now that he is a Christian, he is consumed by the certainty that Jesus Christ saves. Paul isn't hedging his bets but he's assuredly stating the result of being obedient to God's conditions. And the first thing is this, that if you confess with your mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will. That word will is quite important here. 
because it tells us that we will be sure. Paul is able to be assertive. He can be bold. He can be plain here even because he doesn't need to hide behind eloquence or rhetoric or oratory. He's not trying to impress people with his mastery of the language, the Greek language. He's not trying to do that. He is just saying as simply as he possibly can. And so what Paul writes here, it's definite. There's no compromise. Each and every person who follows the command of God to confess and believe in Jesus Christ, there is a promise. You will. And Paul bases that promise on God alone. That is to say that this promise is unbreakable. It's unshakable. It won't be defaulted upon. And that certainty that Paul speaks of to these Romans is a certainty that you can have today. When God is obeyed, when His conditions are followed, He will do what He says. He will bless And all of God's promises are built upon His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we come to God through Jesus Christ, we have a guarantee that He will bless us in the most amazing way. And that is our delight, to know that God will bless us, to know the certainty of being treated graciously by God. But of course, that begs the question, what is it we can be sure of? You will, you will what? What is this blessing that God has for us? Well, we conclude the verse you will be saved. This is the final outcome of obeying God. This is the final outcome of coming to Him through the conditions that He has set. Everyone who confesses, everyone who believes is saved. There are no exceptions. There are no doubts. There are no loopholes. There are no insurance clauses that we need to worry about. It is a plain statement of fact. You will be saved. God saves every person who comes to Jesus Christ. Every person who comes to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance is saved. We know what it's like to deal with people. And you get them one day in this particular way, and the next day they've got a different mood. And you just don't know how it's going to be. And you perhaps wonder, well, if I go to so-and-so today, what will they be like? Will they be happy? Will they be sad? But it's not like that with Jesus Christ. It's not like that with God. When we come to them, They are the same. The Bible even says that. Yesterday, today, forever. What? Christ Jesus is the same. We sing that beautiful old hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. There's not even the faintest hint that God will change. And that tells us that when we come, to Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness from sin. There is reconciliation to God. There is being brought into the family of God. There is a freedom from the guilt that we have experienced because God never loses us. He never lets us down. He he never ignores any person who comes to Him. And so there we have it. You know what will happen when you confess? You know what will happen when you believe? You will be saved. And let me tell you this, you won't be the one who misses out. I think I was the only person who missed out on the shares that were given to to people who had accounts with the Halifax because my account was one pence shy of the threshold. 
And there was a, a marketing campaign at the time that everybody uh, who was uh, with the Halifax Building Society as it was, they would receive these shares. And I thought, that's great, I could do with the money. And I was one pence short. And I went in and I pleaded with them. I said, look, if, I, if only I'd known that the cutoff date was in that day, I would have made sure I'd put the penny in. I would have gone and found it in the pavement somewhere and I would have put it in. And perhaps you're thinking, well, if I come to God today, will I be the person that doesn't get it? Am I too bad? Have I done too many wrong things? Do I like this, that, or the other? And the answer uh, in Scripture is quite clearly that whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Whoever. It's a simple statement. Turn to Christ. Then you will be saved from sin. Then you will receive eternal life. Then you will belong to God. Then you will know your future is secure. Oh, this is a, a wonderful verse of Scripture. Because it tells us that salvation is not ambiguous. It's not arbitrary. But it's absolutely clear. It's not your way that counts. It's not my ideas that carry any weight. But a person is always saved God's way. God puts a demand upon us to, to come to Him in His appointed way that we would understand His condition, that we would take note of the character that says that we are the ones that must respond. We have to be clear of the declaration that we must make, the admission that Jesus is Lord, the acceptance that Christ has been raised from the dead. And we are given the great blessing of knowing the certainty of the delight that we find in knowing that we're saved. We will be sure we will be saved. And so as we finish in a few moments, we have to be certain that Christ is the only way. You know the truth, but will you accept it? Will you operate under the truth? Trust in Christ now. Trust in Christ while He may be found and have the great certainty of being saved today. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this short verse in Scripture that we have read together today. We thank you for what you teach us in it. You teach us that despite the fact that we are far from you, that we are sinners, that we have rejected you, you can and you will save us if we will only come through Jesus Christ. And so we praise you today for a Savior. For the one who was immortal but yet gave his life that he might pay the punishment for our sin. How we praise you for a Savior who has loved us with an everlasting love. That he wants us to come and to know your forgiveness. And so we pray that your spirit will move here. That if any person has not trusted in Christ, today will be the day that they will know that they need him. And it will be the day that they turn to him and have his wonderful salvation. Oh, how we thank you that you're the God who is holy, but the God who is gracious, who is merciful, the God who is love. We do pray all of these things, asking them for the glory and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.